Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Listeners, it's Pastor Jonathan Mason, and I want to thank you for joining me in the pastor's office again this Sunday. I'm excited for today's show. We got two great guests. We've got a council member at large, Isaiah Thomas. We're going to be talking about some NIL legislation uh, that he is putting before council, first in the nation, by the way. Uh, and then we're going to be talking to State Senator Chris Robb uh, in regard to the Larry Krasner impeachment. Uh, so we're going to have great conversation today. But I, I, I got to start off with this NIL piece. So I'm a former. And when you look at me, you can see I'm former. But I'm a former high school athlete, uh, former wrestling champion in the state of Pennsylvania, by the way, uh, which is one of the toughest states in the nation to be great at wrestling. But I was pretty doggone good. Uh, I played on a high school football team at Abington High School. Uh, we went 10-1, and one, one loss to Neshaminy. Uh, but we won the championship that year, and several of our members, including uh, Sean Wooden and Eddie George and uh, a couple others, went to the NFL, played in the NFL. Several went to Division One schools. I, I also received a football scholarship. But, man, we played sports because we loved it. We played sports because it was, it was part of our bragging rights to be a – championship athlete or a high-profile athlete, I don't ever think we thought about money in high school. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. In college, we did. Uh, and in some cases, there were boosters who would, you know, do certain things, uh, pay for meals and different things of that nature. But we never were paid. We were never paid for our name, our image, or our likeness. So it was very interesting to me when NILs actually became a thing. It was very interesting to me. And for those of you who don't know what NILs are, uh, it allows college and now soon high school students to be paid for their name, image, and likeness. Placing that type of responsibility and accountability on a college student or on a high school student, man, I... I have mixed emotions about it. I really do. And that's not necessarily the conversation we're having today, but the conversation we're having today is that one of our local legislators is proposing legislation to help educate young people uh, on NILs, the pros, the cons, uh, to help them manage their money, to, to provide them with legal services, to help them navigate through the negotiation process. I'm actually excited to hear that because lavishing someone with all of these dollars, all of this money could certainly pose its challenges. That being said, let's welcome into the pastor's office uh, this Sunday afternoon, council member and coach Isaiah Thomas, council member at large. Uh, council member at large, Thomas, welcome into the pastor's office yet again, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thank you to your listening audience. I appreciate uh, being here, and I definitely appreciate the way you framed uh, this conversation. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, to jumping right in. First of all, I, I'm assuming, because you are a basketball coach, I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about that, too, because I love it when our local leaders, our local servant leaders, actually are engaged uh, in those type of activities in the community. So that's 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 something I want you to share. But I'm assuming also that you're a former high school and college athlete. Am I right or wrong? You you are correct. I, um, I actually play high school uh, volleyball and basketball. 
uh, at Frankfurt High School. I heard you talk about wrestling at Abington. Uh, Frankfurt, when I was in high school, had the best wrestling program in the public league. Uh, so um, when you're talking about like the significance of um, team sports and camaraderie and what it does uh, to help young people as it relates to the socialization side of growing up, um, it's, in my opinion, irreplaceable. There's nothing else like it. Um, but, yeah, I play high school uh, volleyball and basketball, college basketball as well, too. I've been coaching now. Uh, this is my 14th year uh, coaching high school. So um, I'm in, intricately involved in this work. Uh, I sit on the board for PIAA District 12. Uh, the PIAA is the Transylvania Interscholastic Athletic Association. There are 12 districts that represent the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, District 12 is the one that predominantly re- represents the Philadelphia Public League and Catholic League. Um, but I'm also uh, president of the Coaches Association for the Public League. I do a free camp uh, every year where we have over 150 young people uh, participate in, in athletic activity um, in three different sections of the city as of last summer. Former athletic director and really entrenched in the world of sports and athletics. I, I love to be able to use sports and as- athletics as a vehicle uh, to teach life lessons for young people and as many opportunities as I get and can uh, to actually do that, I do it. So um, the work is something that is near and dear to my heart. And when you talk about my NIL bill and the NIL legislation, uh, it, it predominantly comes out of my lived experience. At the end of the day, uh, there are a lot of people who have mixed views like you around the concept of NIL, right? Like should this college student or should this high school student receive compensation for for participating in athletic activities, uh, the reality is is we're actually past that phase of it, right? Because whether we like it or not, it's here. So as a legislator, um, you know, as a father, as a coach, you know, I'm always going to communicate my opinion, but as a legislator, I have an obligation to protect the most vulnerable. So uh, when you think about the predatory behavior that already happens in sports, um, one can only imagine what happens when this new uncharted territory um, begins to impact high school uh, interscholastic athletics. So what I'm trying to do is just jump out in front of problems and holes that might exist um, based on uh, the most vulnerable young people in the city and try our best as government to step in and provide resources and supplement areas of need that we know exist already prior to NIL even coming to Philadelphia. Uh, so that's the goal of the legislation, and you know I'm excited to see where what direction we going. Listen, let me let me say this to you and 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 I applaud you for all of your efforts in this arena, but athletics literally saved my life. Literally saved my life and paved the way for my future. Uh, I used to get in a ton of trouble in school. I mean, I was the biggest kid on the block, so I was always in fights, and I could never fight one kid. I had to fight four or five uh, at the same time. And I had a mouth on me because I was intelligent, so everything them folks said to me in school, if it didn't make sense, I countered it. So so I was astray. I actually went to an alternative school in 19. I got in my ninth grade year. I got expelled from school. Went to an alternative school where they did nothing but babysit me. Mm. And I promised my dad and my mother, if you get me back into mainstream school. Get me back into Abington. I promise you I'm going to do the right thing. And it was my coaches. It was my coaches, my wrestling coach, my football coaches that mentored and helped to guide me. Uh, and it changed my life. That's why I have mixed emotion. You're right, it's here now, but my mixed emotion is this money can also destroy folk. Uh, 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 People can use money to take advantage of young people because, let's face it, they don't know how to negotiate. Uh, uh, They don't necessarily understand all they're signing for. Uh, uh, They're looking at the check. And so, in in a lot of cases, so is the family. So I'm glad you're offering this legislation because there is the potential with NIL for our young people, and mostly in a lot of cases, those that are black and brown, to be taken advantage of. No question. No question about it. And at the end of the day, when you think about those who get taken advantage of, it's always the poorest among us who, in the city of Philadelphia, and far too many numbers of people of color. So what we're looking to do is offer free legal co- consultation, right, uh, financial literacy, as well as uh, requiring a certain level of transparency around taxes for any time a young person signs an NIL deal who lives in a household uh, below $150,000 income. Um, so at the end of the day, we as a city are saying 
you know, in certain situations, young people will have the support system and resources around them to be able to help them navigate their way through it. But in situations where we know that's not necessarily the case and we're using the income level to essentially determine what that is, and, you know, we're open to that $150,000 threshold being shifted, um, we just want to make sure that that young person has the same resources as a young person who's financially well-off so that as they determine whether or not they want to sign a contract or partake in a relationship with a certain business, that that young person doesn't get taken advantage of from a legal perspective and also that there's a certain level of transparency so that a young person understands what their responsibility is and what they're obligated to pay in taxes. So at the end of the day, um, as we continue to navigate our way through this process, we'll probably identify other issues that we should uh, look at, including in how we protect student-athletes. Uh, but then we should also think about the long-term uh, vision as it relates to the direction that we want to go in as the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, as the city of Philadelphia, um, and what this can look like for Pennsylvania student-athletes. But like so many other people in the city of Philadelphia, um, whose story is similar to yours, you know, it's countless young people who'll say, uh, young adults who'll say, even elders who'll say that sports helped save my life. So we don't want to take that purity away from interscholastic athletics because that's what make it the, the memorable experience that it is. And when you're talking about the value that it has right now, it's very difficult to, to, to put a monetary number behind that. Uh, we really want to put ourselves in a position to be able to protect young people, to be able to recognize it can save a life, but to keep the purity of the sports. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM, and we are talking to council member at large, Isaiah Thomas, about his Philly NIL Youth Protection Act. Let's let's talk a little bit about some particulars of the act itself. So the one thing that I really liked was the fund that you're creating to provide legal support, uh, legal advice and counsel. I believe it's up to five hours to, to help provide legal counsel for the athletes and their families as they approach these deals. Talk to us a little bit about how you will engage local attorneys uh, to get them involved. Uh, will they be giving discounted rates? I mean, what's your vision there? I mean, we haven't necessarily laid out exactly what the process will consist of as it relates to how the free legal consultation will be provided. Mm -hmm. um, right now, we're in a phase of the legislation uh, where we are assessing what's happening all across the country to make sure that we're including all the proper protections in it. Uh, we don't anticipate the bill being implemented into law until next school year, which will be September. So we still have a little bit of time to yeah. be able to think about uh, the operational side of what it consists of as far as where funding will come, what department it will come under, whether it be a public-private partnership. Um, all those things kind of take time for us to do a deep dive. We also know that the PIAA still hasn't voted yet to officially approve NIL and that still is in limbo as well. So we, we need to, we're still a few steps away as it relates to the implementation side of this. Uh, but it's the right time to have the conversation so that as the rules are changed and um, as uh, contracts uh, opportunities present themselves, uh, we're preparing ourselves for when that actually happens and we can hit the ground running. So I noticed that uh, 15 states have already approved uh, NILs for high school students, and uh, we're one of those states that have approved it. Uh, do you know what timeline we're on for the PIA to really look at uh, getting this legislation approved or allowing PILs for high school students, NILs for high school students? It's supposed to happen in December of 2022. Okay. okay. So we're, um, and we anticipate our bill being passed in the law sometime next spring, which will prepare us and put us in a position to hopefully be ready next school year uh, when you'll have a full uh, academic year of NIL um, opportunities for all three sports, winter, uh, fall, winter, and spring. Absolutely. Man, I don't know. I, I, I really applaud you for what you're doing to help protect students, uh, to help protect their families, uh, because we know the predators are out there. Uh, we are going to continue to keep track of this legislation as it goes through the process. Uh, and also, I'm really keen now on seeing whether or not the PIAA does uh, approve NILs for uh, high school students. I'm actually meeting this afternoon uh, with a young man who is a championship wrestler, but again, like me, getting in a lot of trouble, jeopardizing his future. 
Uh, this is a young man who would be a candidate for an NIL. So, and I know his upbringing. I know his background. He's going to need that kind of help if we can keep him on the straight and narrow. So I see the pros of NIL because it helps raise people out of poverty. I see the cons right. because it also can, you know, it can also pollute their minds and take them off of their focus, uh, which should be getting a good education. But again, like you said, it's here. We got to deal with it. Right. It's here. It's here. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, young folks like the the person you just mentioned, who we all are thinking about when it's time to legislate and put us in a position to step up as government and offer the resources that folks might not necessarily have for themselves. So at the end of the day, what we don't want is we don't want to see young people get put in a position where they're signing bad deals or be put in a position where uh, this predatory behavior essentially takes advantage of them. So we want to step up now. That's the goal. Well, Council council Member at Large, Thomas, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I, I'd be remiss if I let you go. Before I asked you, uh, will you still uh, be in the council next year? I mean, it seems like all of your all of your uh, colleagues are leaving you to run for mayor. Can we still count on the fact that you're going to be there? Well, look, I'll say this, right? Um, we have re-election next year, so if the voters of Philadelphia uh, see fit, I'll be back, try my best to return to city council. Uh, But you'll know I'm looking to run for a higher office when I resign my job as coach. So as long as I'm still coaching, (laughs) you know I still want to be on city council. And guess what? We got an opportunity to win a state championship this year. So, you know, I got my eye on March for the state championship. And, and God willing, May for re-election. All right, all right. Well, man, listen, best of luck to you. Tell our listeners the school that where you coach, man, so we can support you. Oh, yeah, so I coach at Sankofa Freedom Academy. It's a K-12 African-centered uh, school that has a catchment zone at Frankfurt, but is located in Kensington. Yeah, I got a number of my young people that go there, uh, and I got to tell you, that school is producing some quality. Uh, so, uh, listen, man, we're going to be praying for you. We wish you nothing but the best as you go for your state title. And please, stay in the council. There's already five or six of them out there. We've talked to all of them, and I keep asking them the same question. Why you want this job? So, stay in the council and help us do what we need to do, and let's protect these students. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. We'll be right back after these commercial messages with Senator Rob. Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. And we want to, again, thank uh, council member at large, Isaiah Thomas, coach. Isaiah Thomas, uh, for joining us today to talk about his NIL legislation that he's presenting to city council. But I also told you that we were going to be talking to state representative Chris Rabb. Now, before I bring him in, I got to tell you, I am, can I use this language on the gospel station, Chris? I'm I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off. And I'm going to tell you why I'm pissed off. Uh, and don't judge me as a pastor for saying I'm pissed off. I'm still human. Uh, but but we've got so many issues going on in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, we've got we've got our murder. We're, we're poised in Philly to to eclipse 500 murders this year. Poised. Uh, our our young people uh, are still not able, as I preached in my sermon yesterday, to play out on the streets like I did when I was a child without worrying about being accosted or without worrying about a stray bullet hitting them. We've got businesses, black and brown businesses, uh, that are not surviving. They're struggling. Listen, we've got churches that are closing their doors because people have not come back into the sanctuary after the pandemic. We've got so many issues in the state of Pennsylvania and in Philadelphia specifically that I am irate at the fact that there are impeachment proceedings going on against the district attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner. Here's the thing, and we're going to bring our guest on to talk about this. In my mind, as I look at it, it's pure theater. Pure theater. And our elected officials are spending time trying to blow dog whistles and and impress a portion of their constituent base as opposed to helping the people, as opposed to being a blessing to the people that elected them to serve. 
It really, really gets my goat. Well, I want to bring into the pastor's office, I believe this is his second time coming on the show, State Representative Chris Rabb. State Representative, welcome into the pastor's office. I'm sorry I got on my soapbox before you came <laughs> in, but but this thing just irritates the heck out of me. Come on in, man. Have a seat. Let's talk. Well, that, that's just a sign of intelligence. If if you're not upset, there's something wrong. I, I, so I, 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 I commend you on, on your, your passion and on bringing up this issue because people need to understand why this is being done, not just know why they should find this problematic, but why it's being done and how it relates to things that you and I and your listeners actually care about. So so let's start there. Tell us why they're doing this. I mean, first of all, let, 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 let's, let's just establish a foundation. Krasner was reelected overwhelmingly to a second four-year term. Yes, some of his some of his approaches uh, uh, to the issues uh, that he encounters they're they're progressive. There's no question about it. Um, some would say he's soft on crime, uh, but when we've had him on the show three times now, he just says I have a different perspective on how you deal with some of these issues. And, and guess what? Philadelphia has validated his approach by electing him once and electing him twice. So why are we doing this? It's because my colleagues in Harrisburg, my Republican colleagues, and um, they are afraid of him. They're afraid of his ideas, and they're afraid that a growing percentage of Pennsylvanians support much, not all, but much of what he's doing. And it can be independently documented when, when there are surveys that talk about a different approach uh, to crime. You know, we've tried tough on crime, and I don't mean me as an elected, but we as Americans have had a tough on tough crime approach for generations, and it doesn't work. And the reason I can say definitively that it doesn't work is because the only thing that comes out of being uh, tough on crime is making more and better criminals. And I'm sure you can appreciate this as a minister, at what point in our society is it our responsibility to transform people, transform people to correct their behavior? You know, we have something called the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections. It's not called the Pennsylvania Department of Caging Humans. It's the Department of Corrections. If you don't believe that we have a moral responsibility, responsibility as a government, to correct the behaviors of people who are antisocial. Uh, I don't know what to tell you, but, but that is what we're supposed to do. Now, there is a small percentage of folks who no intervention is likely to produce a meaningful outcome that will keep um, those folks safe from themselves, and, and society at large. I give you that. And in fact, in the seven state prisons I visited in my first three terms in office, there are people on the inside who have said that. They're, look, they're like, hey, we are in here with people who are not committed to a transformation. But the other piece of this, too, is many, many, many Pennsylvanians who are in prison who are disproportionately poor and black and coming from Philly, are um, addicted to chemicals. They may also have severe mental illness, the solution to which is not incarceration. Putting someone in a cage because they're depressed or because they're schizophrenic or because they have some other issue that's some 19th century stuff right there. That is not what we're supposed to be doing in the 21st century. And the reason we know this is we're the our country imprisons 25 percent of the incarcerated world, but we only represent five percent of of the Earth's population. So we're really good at throwing people in cages. We're not good at transforming people. And what Larry Krasner is talking about, and again, you don't have to agree with everything he says. You don't have to agree with his personality or his style. I have my issues as well. But what, where I really, really respect his leadership in is acknowledging that these issues are systemic. 
They're born of systemic oppression that have created the environment for this criminality. And that the way that we address it is not through heightened policing and unconstitutional arrest. It's through justice. And that justice piece is something really hard for a lot of my colleagues to understand because they've never really used that term. They talk about liberty, but they don't talk about justice because they think that when their eyes are closed, the level, the, the playing field is level, and it's not. If you don't acknowledge that the criminal legal system is inherently flawed and has been racist since its establishment, then your leadership, your perspective is not going to do any justice to those of us who live in Philadelphia or over-policed areas or places where uh, violent crime is the norm. You cannot be a part of that conversation unless you acknowledge those facts and that history. And that's hard for those folks because it goes against the mythology that they've embraced and that they spread that, you know, that there is a meritocracy, that there, there are no systems of oppression, and that this country is above that and the Founding Fathers had nothing to do with it. If that's your point of reference, there's a good reason you despise Larry Krasner, because he is a white person, a wealthy white person, who is pushing back on a very popular narrative around the country. And when you have a white person who looks like you, who's supposed to be on the same page with you, but is siding with people of color and acknowledging and validating what a lot of us have been saying for generations, if not centuries, that scares them. And there are more, there's a growing subset of young white people who are born into the digital age, who have embraced racial justice, not because they want to be a person of color, but they feel like they have a responsibility to do better than their parents and grandparents. And that scares them, too. That scares them very deeply. And that's a new dynamic that I haven't seen in my 52 years on this planet. You're listening to Philly's Favorite 100.7 FM. We're talking to State Representative Chris Rabb about the impeachment proceedings going on against Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner. Now, State State Representative Rabb, uh, in my, you know, I, I paid attention in political science class, and, and some would probably say that, that I'm in love with politics, and, and I'm in love with the history of politics. And in all of my research, impeachment, it's a tool used when a politician does something wrong. Right. <laughs> That's right. As I look back at impeachment proceedings, and there have not been many, uh, 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 but but as I look at individual cases of impeachment uh, uh, on the national level, on the local level, the folks that ended up being impeached, they, they did some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they messed up, right? And in Pennsylvania in particular, there have only been two right. electeds who were impeached and removed from office. And let me tell you, I, I don't remember the specifics, but I can tell you that they were egregious criminal offenses. Right, right, right. So, so, so how did House Republicans come up with seven articles of impeachment against the district attorney? What did he do? Uh, he scared them, like I said before, because nothing in those, um, nothing in their narrative, and I haven't read the specific impeachment articles, um, but they're all born of a larger narrative around how awful he is and how he is not doing his job and making the city worse. As far as I know, it's not the job of the district attorney to arrest people. I Absolutely. thought that was the police. That's right. So here's the thing. If only a tiny percentage of the quote-unquote bad guys are ever arrested, and a very small percentage of those folks who are arrested are actually convicted, then the vast majority of the criminality these Republicans are saying is all over Philadelphia, that doesn't rest at the feet of a district attorney, any district attorney. That rests at the feet of law enforcement. Now, only a small, small percentage of police in any police force, not, not just Philly, but any modern police force of any city, spends their time going after the bad guys. The vast majority of the time, it's administrative work. It's paperwork. It's, it's work behind a desk. It's uh, 
all the things that are really mundane that have nothing to do with going after the worst of the worst, the most violent criminals. That is a small percentage. In fact, I believe a really high percentage of police officers are, in fact, um, more administrative, like the personnel are not cops on the beat, so to speak, right? But getting back to the articles of impeachment, nothing in their, in their, their uh, efforts to, to remove him from office suggests he's done anything either unethical or illegal. And that's what you use impeachment for. But impeachment doesn't remove someone from office. Um, that's a separate process that would happen on the Senate side, and they know they don't have enough votes because no Democrat, they would need some Democrats to support it in order for him to be removed from office. And I doubt a single Democrat will support it, just like zero Democrats supported his impeachment in the House side, even though there was a handful of Democrats who do not like Larry Krasner and his approach. Nevertheless, they knew it was a red herring, and they would not be a part of the Republican chicanery to, to do what they're doing to distract us from the real issues that while the 24 out of 27 years, Reverend, that they've been in power in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives, they haven't increased the minimum wage in the past decade. That could alleviate a million Pennsylvanians from poverty, many of whom live in Philadelphia. That they haven't done any number of things that the majority of Pennsylvanians and the majority of Philadelphians want. They have refused to even have committee hearings on these subjects. They will not even allow us to utter some of the words because they're so afraid of those, those ideas because they're not in, that they oppose those things. And that makes them nervous. Let, let, let's frame this. So let's frame this uh, situation so that our listeners really do understand how ridiculous this is. You brought it up, but I want to just uh, peel back the, 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 the issue a little bit more. Uh, it takes two, a two thirds majority to impeach. Two-thirds majority. There are 50 senators in Pennsylvania. That means it would take 34 senators to vote to impeach or or to remove Larry Krasner from office, right? He's already been impeached, but to remove Larry Krasner from office. Now, right right now, the GOP has a 28 to 22 advantage in the Senate. Where are the six votes coming from? <laughs> Where their imagination, right? And, their imagination, right? And and they're spending resources. They're spending money. There's money that goes into this that could be going to the good people of the state of Pennsylvania. That's how ridiculous this whole process is. It absolutely is. Now, what's happened since this started is House Democrats have almost secured a majority going into 2023. In other words, right now, there's a 101 to 101 tie in the House. There needs, so there's one absent, there's one vacancy due to the untimely death of my colleague Anthony DeLuca in Pittsburgh, who died at the age of 85, just weeks before his re-election. Um, and it was too late to remove him from the ballot, but he won posthumously. So now there's a special election on February 7th that would fill that seat. If that seat is filled by a Democrat, if a Democrat wins that special election, it will then be 102 to 101. But wait, there's more. Austin Davis, who's also from Allegheny County, which is where Pittsburgh is, um, out west, he's going to be our next lieutenant governor later in January. So he can vote on January 3rd, our first legislative day of the year, when we get sworn in. But as soon as he votes, he will likely resign and prepare to be our next lieutenant governor. Summer Lee, my my beloved colleague in the House, is going to Congress as the first black woman to represent any district in Pennsylvania. So there'll be two vacancies. So instead of we'll start out at 101 to 101 on the very first day of session, and the day after, it's going to go down to 99 to 101, which means that for a certain period of time until those seats are filled, there's going to be a two-seat majority of Republicans, but for only a matter of weeks. Right. They know, and everybody knows, that 
when those two special elections are held in Democratic strongholds, Democrats will take over, and then we can have another vote to determine who is the Speaker of the House. Democrats have chosen amongst ourselves for that to be uh, State Representative Joanna McClinton from Southwest Philly, who is currently our minority leader. Um, she will be uh, a Speaker of the House in 2023. The question is, will it be January 3rd, where we can get just one Republican to defect and support her in that? Or we'd have to wait until as late as May 16th, which is the latest a special election can occur, and we pick up those two other seats to then take over the majority, where we can push things that Philadelphians care about to address gun violence, to address public education, environmental justice issues, etc. Those things will be um, paramount to us. We will not be playing political theater. We will be doing the work of the people. It should start January 3rd, but as it appears, they're not ready to relinquish power, even though they, they realize they do not have the votes to sustain a majority past May. Wow. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for State Rep. McClinton. She has worked hard, and, and for her to assume that position, man, one, it's history, but one, she's deserving. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited uh, about State Representative Jordan Harris uh, and the position that he's going to assume uh, in leadership. Uh, it, it, it's exciting times for Pennsylvania. And so with that being said, let's let Let's flip a little bit before I have to let you go. Uh, we talked about gun violence twice during this interview already. Uh, no question about it, State Representative Rab. Uh, we're on the verge of potentially hitting 500 murders in the city of Philadelphia this year. Uh, I'm prayerful we won't get there, but you know what? For me, one is too many, right? That's right. Um, the violent crime statistics, uh, you know, are still alarming. Talk to me a little bit about uh, what our state house representatives under Democratic leadership, <laughs> excited to say that, what we're going to do to try to curb this gun violence in our city going forward. Well, and in our state. Absolutely, because this, because the increase in the murder rate, is much higher in other smaller towns and cities than Philadelphia. In Harrisburg, in our state capital, the Republican majorities have made Philadelphia the face of all things bad. You may recall the former president said bad things happen in Philly. Mm -hmm. Well, the reality is the, the statistics show that per capita, there is a higher level of of um, violence happening in other places than in Philadelphia. And in terms of major cities, we're not even in the top 10, even though we're the sixth largest city in the country. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have a serious problem, but the reality is whether it's 400, 300, 500, 600, it's too many, like That's right. you said. That's right. It's too many. And we also have to realize that there are actually more shootings, but fewer people are dying. So there are thousands of people in Philadelphia, men, women, and children, who are being shot and who are injured, who are maimed, who are paralyzed, who are psychologically traumatized, and the people who care for them. And that's a bigger issue. The issue is not just how many people are dying, but how many people are harmed. And that is an ever-radiating sphere of trauma that impacts all of us. How do we address that? But one of the things we're not talking about, Reverend, is going upstream. We can talk about going after the bad guys who already have the weapons, who've already done stuff. But how about making sure that these guns don't get into our city in the first place? That seems like a reasonable place to start. These guns aren't manufactured by black-owned businesses. That's right. They're not made in the hood. They're made elsewhere, and they're purchased by gun dealers, most of whom are not in Philadelphia. That means that Philadelphians who um, are trying to access guns not to protect themselves, 
but to make a buck or to kill people are going to the suburbs. Not far, Reverend. They're going to the suburbs around Philly, and they're buying a whole mess of cheap handguns. They're not buying rifles. They're buying handguns, and they're bringing them back, and the people buying them don't have a criminal record, which is how they're able to buy them, and then they accidentally lose their gun, wink, wink, or they illegally sell their guns to folks who are not supposed to have them. And then what we find is, after the murder's been committed and the cops uh, find the gun, they they can connect it where it came from. Hmm. But here's the thing. If your business model is to sell cheap guns to folks uh, so they can go do God knows what in Philly, I question your business model, right? Most gun dealers don't do that. But the ones who do, they need to be audited. And what I mean by that is you are not allowed to be a gun dealer and run your business in a raggedy kind of way. But you can get away with it if nobody audits your business. If no one's knocking on your door and said, let me see your paperwork, let me make sure you've dotted your I's and crossed your T's. Now, of all the businesses that exist, Reverend, the ones that we should watch the most are the ones that create the most violence. And we're not doing that. My bill, my bill does that. It doesn't go after all the gun dealers. It goes after the ones that have the highest volume of, of selling the weapons that are most commonly used in homicides and if we do that it will radically slow down the sale of guns that are brought into our city so i'm one of those folks who's working upstream rev right right because if we can keep the guns um, out of the hands of the knuckleheads then that will actually lower the murder rate which makes it easier on police officers it makes it easier on the district attorney's office and it makes it easier on communities that are besieged with this kind of violence. I'm with you 100%. We got to keep the guns out of the community. And and at the end of the day, uh, if we can keep the guns out of the community, if we can if we can keep well well let me let me let me dial back. It's kind of important we get some bipartisan support on this. Uh, because yeah. again, the Republicans are still going to be in charge of the Senate. So before I even go down that street, you know, I'm sure you've connected with your colleagues on the other side. I'm sure you've talked to your colleagues in the upper chamber. What is there some likelihood that we'll get some bipartisan support to get this bill passed? Because I think it's critical. So another great question. That's my first order of business when I start the new term and I get to commune with my colleagues on both sides of the aisle. Um, in January. This bill was introduced on one of the last days of the legislative session in November. So once December 1st comes through and it hasn't been enacted into law, it all starts over. So I will be recirculating this bill and reaching out to my Republican colleagues who have an interest in addressing violence in good faith. There are not a lot of them, I must admit, but the ones who are, I'm going to be reaching out to them because this does not put restrictions on gun owners, right? Because a lot of uh, Republicans and some Democrats are all about holding up the Second Amendment over every other amendment in our Bill of Rights, right? Second Amendment is more important than First Amendment to a lot of folks. But this does not put restrictions on, on the Second Amendment. So that is an opportunity to have a conversation, because once you limit the Second Amendment pushback, that's when people shut down. So this doesn't do that. It also doesn't go after the vast majority of gun dealers because the vast majority of gun dealers aren't selling a high volume of, of handguns. They're selling rifles to folks who are using them to hunt. And that's fine. That's not the, that is not the source of the problem uh, here in Philadelphia and, and other cities. So I do believe there's opportunity for bipartisanship, but it's only going to work if Democrats like me reach out to them, leave our comfort zones, and reach people in good faith and say, hey, let's meet in the middle here. This is how we can actually save lives, still uphold the Second Amendment, and we can be morally consistent. I think there's a way, to, way forward on this, and I also believe that this is something the governor will be very interested in because it will allow him to have uh, more authority to work with state troopers 
who are already empowered to do these audits. So right now, if they had the resources, they could do these audits. They don't have the resources, and they don't have the data. So if we don't know which gun dealers to go after, then this would be a whole mess. But we do. So this actually creates a process by which government can say, all right, here's that small subset of gun dealers who are causing um, the greatest harm in our cities. Let's find a way to audit them to make sure that they're crossing their T's and dotting their I's. And if they're not, we shut them down. State Representative Chris Rabb, I want to thank you for joining us in the pastor's office. Man, I want to thank you for your passion to serve, because I know it's not easy. Uh, So know that we're covering you in prayer, uh, and if at any time we can be of assistance to you, uh, these airwaves are available to you, sir. So God bless you and continue to fight the good fight. Thank you so much, Reverend. About the state that we are living in. Political spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Faber. Yeah.